Welcome, everybody, to another episode of uh, Puget Systems Podcast Live Q&A show. Uh, this week, we're joined by our internal expert, Matt Bach. He handles all of our content creation, uh, sort of software, hardware expert. Is it? Does that make sense? Oh, it's yeah. a bunch of words. You just put yeah. them all together. And it's... I, I always put you a senior labs technician. That's, yeah. I, I, I guess if you, if you... Yeah, if you want to short it, probably like post-production would be the, the primary area. So, yeah, like, right. except also I do photo stuff too. So, right. photo the and post production. Adobe Suite and DaVinci Resolve. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Ho- hopefully, we'll be able to get into things like Avid or Vegas and all those eventually. It's just, yeah. There's never enough time. When are we going to see Final Cut Pro uh, articles? <laughs> I see uh, the Mac back there. Why not? Oh, uh, yeah, that, that is nice. Those M1 Macs are really, really nice. But yeah, I mean, eventually, I mean, that, that's getting into more business side things. But eventually, we do hope to branch out beyond just what we focus on, like as a workstation company and be able to you know, split out to, you know, laptops or even Macs or, you know, all that other stuff. But that, that's an eventuality. We've got to. <laughs> Yeah. We've got to figure out how we can be paid for our time for that. Right now, we're funded by our workstation sales, and if we're not doing things that, you know, drive workstation sales, we've got to make money somehow. Like banner ads on the articles aren't going to cut it? Oh, uh, man, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of ads. Uh, no. we'll, we'll, yeah, no, we'll we're just going to have to see. Yeah. yeah, right on. So uh, thank you for joining us today. This is always a good time talking with you, Matt. Um, I know like this week we don't have, um, we, you know, usually we'll have like a kind of an overarching topic, something like a hardware release or a software update has happened. Um, this time we're, we're in a little bit of a lull. But um, and but but you did put out a couple of recent uh, interesting articles that I thought were particularly interesting. The um, the H two sixty four H two sixty five decoding compatibility stuff, and um, I think that one is hugely helpful because I feel like we do get questions. Um, probably through support and stuff like, why is it taking so long for this to happen? I just bought this machine. What's going on here? I thought this was going to be an improvement. Um, and this I think is going to, is incredibly helpful. It's going to go a long way to helping clear up a lot of that confusion and those questions. So um, yeah. I think that'd be a good place to start. In addition, anyone in the audience, if you have any sort of questions that might come up uh, that you ha- would like to have answered by Matt in his particular area expertise, and maybe in general as well, we'll try to help out as best we can. Do feel free to an- ask away. So um, yeah, let's get, let's go ahead and just jump right into it. Sure. So what's the deal? So, okay. So um, to process like video footage, you know, whether it's on your, your phone, your computer, uh, in an application like Premiere Pro, uh, you have to decode the footage. It's, it's basically when you have media, it's kind of like a zip file. It, it's all compressed and then you have to decompress it, decode it, turn it into like usable video data. And there's different kinds of codecs that people use. There, there are some that are like made for editing, uh, ProRes, DNX. Uh, some of the raw ones actually aren't too bad to process. Those ones are like what you're supposed to edit with. Okay. And then there's the codecs that are the ones that most people actually interact with all the time. H.264, H.265. They're really small codecs. They have very good quality for the size, but like you have to give up something to get that. And that is processing power. So it's, it's basically you have giant video files that are easy to process or you have small video files that are hard to process. Sure. And okay. so most devices, you know, your cell phone, a lot of laptops, they have some level of hardware decoding. So like a special chip in there that lets you process those things. Because if you were trying to do it just through, you know, the main processor on your phone or your computer, it just couldn't keep up. They're, they're just too difficult. And I don't know if we really want to get into the why behind it, but it, it's just... <laughs> The summary is they're they're really hard, um, and you have specialty hardware that you can use to decode that. Um, and for the longest time, your pretty much only choice on PCs was a feature on Intel CPUs called QuickSync. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. if the CPU had onboard video, it had QuickSync, and okay. you can use that to decode this footage, be able to get way better performance when you're just playing, especially when you're like skipping around in a timeline or scrubbing or especially playing in reverse. Um, It'd be junk on a CPU, but 
pretty darn good if you had a CPU with QuickSync because you can use just QuickSync. Uh, the things that changed recently is Premiere Pro added support for GPU decoding because most GPUs have these decoders also built in and something like DaVinci Resolve, they've been using those for a long time. Premiere was behind the ball. They um, semi-recently added GPU support. Uh, but the really hard thing with all of this is there are even within like just the subset of H64 and H65, so just these one or two kinds of codecs, there's like, a, I don't even know how many different combinations of like flavors of these codecs. Um, right. And it's based on the, the codec itself, the bit depth. So that's like how many colors um, mm -hmm. are being used. So think like, you know, two bit would be black and white. Eight bit is like, you know, old computer games or whatever. Now, you know, we're up to like 256 you know, well, we're not 256, 256 colors. So that'd be like 8-bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so so codec, bit depth, and then there's also chroma subsampling. Um, and those three things, you have to have support on a hardware level and on an application level to be able to decode it. Um, so, um, And so if, if you mind switching to my screen, oh, sure. you can. I can bring it up. And so for different applications and for different hardware, it was it was kind of a pain. Um, we I, we tried to look at like um, Intel doesn't have good documentation on what QuickSync supports. NVIDIA mm. actually does have pretty good documentation. I call it like 80% complete documentation and yeah. AMD has nothing. Um, <laughs> and like Premiere Pro and DaVinci Resolve basically have nothing. You can try to figure it out if you like looked at the update notes because they'd say like added support for this. Little so, bits at a time. Yeah, so we basically, we just made all these different kinds of footage. So all, however many of these that it is, like 16 or something like that, we just made variants of that. And we just tested it to see if it supported hardware decoding or not. And it turns out Premiere Pro really doesn't support much, which isn't too surprising considering they just added GPU decoding. So okay. like it's still kind of new. But it's basically, it's only 420 8-bit for A64. <laughs> And then 420, 8-bit and 10-bit for H665. Um, and that's not as good as I hoped. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. hoped it'd be more. Uh, no, this is the, this is still working with the, the beta thing. The the or no, it's not beta anymore, right? They I remember we had put out articles a few months back now about how this was like a brand new thing. And yeah, um, we did that side by side comparison video and that sort of thing. That's what we're talking about here, right? Yep, yep. It, it's well, it, it's both that and going back to uh, like using Intel's QuickSync because Intel QuickSync's been in there forever, right? Or not forever, but for a long, long time. And but so, but this is really good information to have because there are a lot of cameras out there, um, you know, DSLRs and you know, higher end production cameras where you will record and it'll actually record typically 8 bit 422 or it'll do 10 bit 422 or it'll be 10 bit 420. And then, you know, they try to edit that and it's just. It's, it's crap. It doesn't matter yeah. how powerful of a system you have. It doesn't matter how much money you throw at it. It's just not going to be good. And your only solution is either transcode it ahead of time or do proxies. Yikes. So, yeah, so it kind of it kind of sucks hmm. <laughs> and it's kind of annoying. But hopefully they'll be adding more of these because there is support on a hardware level for a lot of these. And in fact, we did the same testing on DaVinci Resolve. And um, H.264 is still just 4208-bit, which, again, okay. kind of stinks. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that's actually a hardware limitation. Um, and I think a lot of that is because, like, NVIDIA and Intel, they kind of are starting to see H.264 as a legacy codec. Um, like, sometimes... Yeah, like sometimes we'll talk to them. They're like, well, why are you doing anything with H.264? Like, H.265 is the future. Ooh, it's like, yeah, yeah. but people how have many cameras... Thousands? Yeah, how many thousands of people are still recording in that? Yeah, it, it's like why. saying, yeah, it's like saying, well, electric cars are the future, so we don't need to support gas. Like, no, you, like there's still like how many millions and billions of cars out there that are run on gas? Like, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of disappointing. That's more of a hardware level limitation. The good thing is that H two five at least, for DaVinci Resolve at least, is way better. Not only does it yeah. support four two zero at eight bit and ten bit. But if the hardware supports it, like NVIDIA cards, it'll support 10-bit 444, 12-bit even 420. Um, yeah, the, the hard one, though, is still the 422. Like, there's a lot of people and cameras that shoot 422. And the only way to get hardware decoding for that is with the latest Intel 11th gen CPUs. Um, 
which there you've got to make a sacrifice because like the AMD Ryzen or Threadripper CPUs need you a lot more power for like everything else. Right. So do you sacrifice all that power there to get an 11th gen CPU that has hardware decoding? And that's kind of uh, just for everyone is going to be a little bit different. Like, what do you do? What's your workflow? Yeah. You know? Dang. So. That's, that's rough. Yeah. Huh. So it, it's, it's interesting. And this is the kind of thing like this took about a day's worth of testing to do. Like it doesn't take long because we're not trying to, we're, we're measuring performance here. We're just hit play is, yeah, is the GPU being used uh, or quick sync or whatever. And, but like, there was no documentation on this anywhere. Like Weird. we had to just make it ourselves. Wow. I wonder, I mean, there's always the why, like, huh? Because you, they must have tested this stuff internally. I feel like, oh yeah, you, you know, like Adobe just, just and sure. yeah, like Adobe and Blackmagic, they know what it is. I, I even emailed Adobe uh, to ask them, and they they told me exactly what it was that I I found. So they they know they you know it's just they have to prioritize you know different things and um, like DaVinci Resolve for whatever reason they are really good about adding hardware decoding support if the hardware supports it. Yeah. Adobe I guess is more focused on features and more like workflow improvements um, okay. and you know just the whole suite you know they have to integrate yeah, after effects and premiere pro and photoshop and it's just different things and different amounts of resources they can dedicate to different things something like this is not really flashy like sure like it's, it's very important but it's not like a new feature that's gonna like make sales right yeah i guess it's, it's hard to write the press release for something like this especially yeah, well, with so many reds like that's not yeah. very, uh, you know, people aren't going to, uh, sorry, we, you can only take, I don't uh, So actually let, let me go back to that chart where, so, okay. Uh, eight bit four, two, zero across the board, regardless mm -hmm. is, is fully supported. What sort of device records in that? Is that my phone? Is yeah. That... Most of the time when you're like doing on a cell phone, uh, I, I would say probably 90% of what people record in H64 is going to be eight bit four, two, zero. Okay. Um, okay. It's going to be a lot of times we hear with uh, someone who has like a Sony camera or a Canon, I think oh, almost always does four, two, two. Um, and some of them you can set them. Four 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 is not very common. You rarely will see four 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 when it comes to a six four or a sixty five. That's more something you'll see with um, they're doing like really high end color work. I think like Hollywood films, and they're mm -hmm. using like ProRes uh, Quad four or something, and that's that'll be four four four. So that's not the fact that it doesn't have four four four. Eh, whatever. Okay. But it's the four two two. That would be really nice uh, because there are those people that shoot in it. And it, those are like, honestly, I don't know if I'd quite call them. They're definitely not amateur, not at all. Amateur is going to be four, two to zero. Uh, okay. And they're not really prosumer either, because a lot of these are like they're, they're professionals. Yeah, they're just not professionals in like Hollywood. They're, they're often going to be people doing like commercial shoots or like the, mm. the freelancers who are like one man bands, like uh, yeah. the guy who does our videos for us. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure if his camera shoots in 422, but you'd be the type of person who would have a camera who, who does okay. something like that. Kind of more independent or, or smaller studio kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It tends to be, or, and like people who don't have the budget to be able to afford giant storage because the step sure. up from that is going to be, you're going to be shooting in like ProRes mm -hmm. and those video files are, are massive. Like a single project will be multiple terabytes uh, of yeah. video for like a, you know, five minute video. Yikes. So, so it, it goes up fast. That's why people still record and shoot in H64 and HTVC, even though it's pretty much the worst codec possible to edit with. Sure. I don't think you can get worse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that does seem to be, well, and like you're saying it's like it's because you're you're basically playing around with compressed um data mm -hmm. essentially and it has to it has to rebuild that before you can really start playing around with it yeah well and the yeah. way it does it is really interesting like i said i wasn't gonna get into it. i'm gonna get, gonna get into it it's basically you have the first frame so think mm -hmm. the first frame is just a full frame it's just like a, a, a picture mm -hmm. uh, but then the next frame is just whatever has changed so like in my case, if if this was being recorded in A64, my background, that data wouldn't be written beyond the first frame because it's not changing. It's just me that's moving. So just yeah. this part of the frame is edit, is recorded for frame two. And then frame three is just what has changed. And, and it's basically every, I don't even know how many frames it is. You have a frame that has all of the video data 
And then all of the frames after that are based on that first frame. So if you want to edit frame 10, it has to go back to frame one, process that frame, and then two, then three, then four, then five, then six, all the way up to frame 10, and then it can show it. And that's a big problem when you're editing because it needs to know all of the data on every frame so it can do like color work and and everything else. If you're just like watching on your phone, it doesn't care. Like it's just playing it in order. Yeah, so the things that Mm. change. Yeah. Um, And so that's why it's especially bad if you want to like scrub or skip around because it has Mm -hmm. to go all the way back. Uh, Or if you want to do reverse, reverse is even worse. Like if you want to reverse from frame 10, it'd have to do frame one through 10, show frame 10 and then do frame one through nine and then show frame nine. And then show frame one through eight and then frame eight. So that's why like reverse is just terrible without hardware coding. And, so, and it has to do that for every time, every frame you're working backwards. It mm-hmm. has to redo every one. Everything. Because when you're applying like a color, like a lumetri color on top of it or something, it needs to know all of the color data for the entire frame. Huh. It can't just draw the changes because if you just draw the changes, that's it, it just doesn't work. Um, and maybe a lot of times it would, but they have to design it and it has to work in a way that always will be right. Not right. will be right. Ninety nine percent of the time, like it always has to be right. Yeah. And then there was I remember you saying, too, that like um, there's like different ways of of compressing your H.264, H.265 stuff. Like everybody does a different way of it. And so it's that's part yeah, of what makes it hard to decode. Yeah. Well, that is mostly just you sometimes like you'll have two video clips that will look identical but if Mm -hmm. one was recorded on like a canon one was on like a sony there there's even beyond the codec bit depth and chroma subsampling and and bit rate too and resolution there's also like yeah how they decide to 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 write that like it's like using um like winrar or seven zip to to make a zip um, instead of like, you know, Windows Explorer, the built in zipper, like yeah. if you use the two of them, you'll end up with very slightly different sized zip files. And it's just because they're they're doing things slightly differently. Most of the time, it's it's not a problem, but sometimes you'll get some that just Premiere or Resolve or whatever just won't like. Yeah. And like the only answer is just, well, transcode it <laughs> or use proxies or Damn. do something. Um, yeah. And usually those problems are like bugs, like it's a bug with like the wrapper, like Premiere won't like mxf files so it'll prefer mp4 for this specific flavor um and it usually gets fixed but like yeah codecs are just nuts and that's why there there'll be like there's entire like training courses on just codecs there's like whole sessions at nab and adobe max on just codecs because it's it's complicated if if it's coded that way and maybe i'm getting just maybe out of out of line or out of off topic but if if and if it is if it is essentially a compressed thing, isn't there, it shouldn't there, or is there a way to sort of uncompress it before you get into the editing process? Like that yeah, way it doesn't have to do it over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, all that's, all that would be is you just transcode it. Um, and, and that's a, that's a whole workflow. There's a lot of people, I think even Linus tech tips do, does this. They have a, a server that they unload all of their footage onto mm-hmm. and that server, its only job is it's, it, it pulls in the, the data from the memory cards and it immediately transcodes it to, I don't know, whatever they use, probably ProRes uh, to do all their editing with. Oh. So it's being done at the very beginning. And then once they start editing, they, they've got it. Um, you could do that way. Uh, if you are, if you have some less people, like I think they, they have a very big video team They're now, pretty, I think. Yeah. Um, but if you just have one or two people, probably the better way to do it is to use proxies. Because uh, okay. then you can generate proxies for whatever it is you're about to work on. Um, and like they automatically attach. So performance just gets better as you go. Uh, so that's probably the way that a lot of people would do it is just using proxies. And hmm. Premiere's got a great proxy workflow. DaVinci Resolve's got a great proxy workflow or optimized media. I, I think they have both proxies and optimized media. And I'm not actually sure what the difference is. They seem like the same thing to me. I'm sure there is a difference. Yeah. But Okay. Uh, would you like to take some questions from the, Absolutely. From the, the chat? So this is one that comes up a lot. You have a video out there that's a few years old now talking about the best way to set up your storage for Premiere Pro. Mm. And we have since come a long way in our storage solutions when it comes to PCs and stuff. Most folk are are pretty, pretty much all SSDs these days. And so this yeah. question comes up all the time. Uh, definite on YouTube, he would like, please explain to me how to set up storage on a PC when installing Premiere. They have three SSDs and one M.2. 
And I believe I got this question on Facebook earlier. I'm not sure if it was from the same person, but I, I've, I'm, I'm pretty confident this is the same person I was talking to on Facebook uh, previously about this. Sure. Uh, um, so here, you want to? Oh, I don't know if this will we help. Have, we have visual it. aids. Yeah, visual aids of Notepad. <laughs> visual aids. <laughs> Let me make this a little bit bigger. Okay. And, um, and we'll, so we'll assume the M.2 is an NVMe, not. A yeah, CD. yeah. I think that's a safe a bet because M.2 could be just a normal SSD, too. I'm totally um, clicking so, this out and putting this on YouTube, by the way. Well, it's actually basically on our recommended system that's that's uh, here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the hardware recommendations. This is basically going to tell you the exact same thing as if you went down to storage. Because mm-hmm. yeah, it hasn't really changed all that much. So basically, you've got one SSD. That's always going to be your OS and applications. So Premiere Pro, all that kind of stuff. There's no reason to separate that out onto a separate drive, um, especially because sometimes you get into problems if it's not in the default location. Um, usually not with like Premiere Pro the base, but sometimes you'll get like a plug-in developer who is, um, they didn't do a good job about making things dynamic. Um, and oftentimes it's not like, it's not on purpose. Uh, like yeah, I, no. we had this issue with one of our benchmarks once where it's just an oops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just didn't even think about it. So one SSD for OS applications, um, that we usually try to recommend at least 500 gigabytes or, or more. Um, but if that's you know all you're be using it for, it doesn't have to be a giant two terabyte NVMe. Um, but that depends on like, well, how big are, is your downloads folder? Or, you know, how, how often do you clean things out? Are you installing also like, you know, Call Games of Duty that's like 400 gigs or whatever it is yeah. now. Um, so that's, that's what you put there. Um, and then the NVMe is actually the second one I would talk about. That one would be like your uh, cache and scratch files. Um, and that's just because like you can get a small benefit out of cache and scratch by having it on a NVMe. It's not, it's not going to be like huge, but it can be a little bit better. Uh, it can kind of increase some of the, it might not really be snappiness. This probably isn't the right word, but it can make things a little bit flow a little bit better. And then that basically leaves these two for like your footage. And maybe this one is like your, your, your static assets. Um, it's like stuff you use all the time. You know, if you've got a certain background you use all the time or you have, um, you know, uh, like B-roll you, you use all the time. That's kind of the way I would do it um, normally. The only caveat to this is um, space. Um, so if like your SSD isn't big enough to hold all your footage, well, that kind of sucks. Like, you really don't want to have to split it up between two SSDs. So um, I would prefer like having one SSD, this SSD be bigger and not even worry about this other one because it really doesn't matter all that much to have these things, these these two things separate. The okay. really the biggest thing is you have a dedicated OS drive and you have a dedicated cache drive and then like everything else can go on these drives. Um, the only exception to this is if you have really high bit rate footage. So think, um, let's see. So you would have to have something because SSDs are 500 gigs a second. So you would have to have media that is um, what would it be? Where's my calculator? Yeah. So 500 gigs a second is 4,000 uh, gigabits. Okay. Gigabits? Right, because eight bytes. Eight, Am I going eight, the right eight, way? Eight, eight bits to a byte. Yeah, so 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 a, a, oh, it's five hundred megs, ten, not five hundred gigs. So so that's <laughs> like it's like four, it's like four thousand megabit. Um, okay. So that's a lot. Like that 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 is a whole lot. Like most most H sixty four will max out around one hundred and fifty. So like you're talking okay. massive. It's only when you're going to be into like raw, like eight K red raw kind of situations. Okay. Uh, but in those cases, I would sw- you would have to kind of switch this up a little bit, where you'd have to put your footage on the NVMe because you need to be able to access your footage fast enough to playback. Because otherwise, it doesn't matter how fast your your drives are, and sure. then this would turn into your scratch. Um, 
and cache files. And the static assets, probably you can still keep on that SSD because if you're talking about like B-roll and stuff, that's probably going to be, yeah, like H- H64 or, or things like that. So that's kind of the way, the two different ways you could split up uh, in this case. And really, most of the time, uh, this is the two different ways we would do this kind of a thing. Uh, the the only things that sometimes change is oftentimes now we're using an NVMe as our primary drive just because they've come down in price so much that it's affordable to do so. And like, it's not really going to make like Premiere Pro or Windows launch all that much faster. But hey, for like 10 bucks or whatever it is, sure, whatever. Yeah. Less Might wires. As well. <laughs> yeah, less, less wires, all that jazz. So sometimes we'll upgrade that one to an NVMe. Um, the SSD for like footage, that one we typically don't go up to NVMe unless it is absolutely necessary for the speed. And that's because NVMe drives, you can only get up to, is it two terabyte now? No, no, Cybern's got that four terabyte rocket. Oh, okay. So you can get up there, but SSDs for, for a while now are going to be able to get, you're going to be able to get them in bigger capacities on a single drive. Yeah. And it's nice just to have everything on one drive rather than splitting it up. Um, I mean, you could do like a raid between drives so it looks like one drive. But that's a bad idea. Uh, better to have it all on on one SSD if you can, and then use you know backups, real backups, not RAID, to protect your footage. Yeah. So hopefully that's a long-winded answer. No, that's great. <laughs> to that uh, question. That's great. That'll help tremendously. Um, oh, I guess there may be an updated video there. Is that? Oh no, this the... is still the old one. It just hasn't okay. really changed. The only things okay. that have changed is that like platter drives, people use less because bitrate on media has kind of gone up, right. um, and, and resolution has gone up. So it's basically just because it, it, it's all the same idea. It's just um, it's all just based on the bitrate of your media. That's the main thing that is going to dictate whether you need an SSD or an NVMe or if you would be able to get away with a platter drive, which I wouldn't recommend, but <laughs> some people do it. Hold on, I have to. <laughs> because the, the, the puppy okay, text for the Internet, we have to do it. Had to do it to him. <laughs> All right, that's You're so little. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, right. It's a miniature dachshund, but I didn't realize how miniature he was really going to be. Um, all right, let's go. We have another question uh, from Timo TT on the YouTube. Uh, is 8K video editing realistic right now? And what are the benefits? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's realistic. It depends on what you shoot in. Um, if it's H265, 8K H265 is pretty rough still. Um, mm-hmm. Probably the easiest two to edit with is actually Red Raw and uh, Blackmagic Raw. Those are probably the two easiest uh, codecs to work with in 8K. Uh, I'm pretty sure Blackmagic Raw goes up to 8K. I've only ever done anything with up to 6K with Blackmagic Raw, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because they have a 12K camera. So, yeah, it's got to be 8K. Yeah. Um, So those are if you're shooting in those like, yeah, you can totally edit like you need a high end system but it can be done um and still a lot of those people they will oftentimes still use proxies and whatever anyway even if they could do it because Mm -hmm. it's still going to be snappier you know skipping around on the timeline still going to be faster um now in like premiere pro you can use proxies to export even so if you're doing like a lower resolution um like your revision to your client, you can just use the proxies and send it to them. Cause like, yeah, you don't need 8k to, to do a revision check. Like nice. you just, you just send them like a 1080p. Um, so you can, yeah, you can absolutely do it, but it really comes down to your workflow and your codex and your budget. <laughs> but if you're shooting an 8k, you probably got, um, you probably got a decent budget. budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the benefit for 8k that's more, I mean, it's not really a hard. I, I can tell you my impression of the benefits. You're probably going to get sure. a better answer from like someone who's really deep in you know video, like they do it every day. But my mm-hmm. understanding is one, you're shooting an AK 8K because you have to, like you're delivering to Netflix and they require 6K. So like, okay, well you're shooting 8K so you can have a little bit of of crop. Um, uh, and I, th- I think like Japan and a few other places, like they're starting to require 6K or 8K for, for some deliverables now. So wow. it's it's coming out there um, and, you know, 8K TVs exist and all that. So there's one you're, you're having to um, or two. The other reason people will do it is because they can't 
spend the time on set to get like the framing perfect. So if they're oh. intending to deliver in 4K or even 1080p, they might shoot 8K just so that they can zoom in. They can do digital zooms. They can do pans like doing pans isn't really great because you're not going to get the perspective right. But you can do those kind of things. But bigger, I think, is more the reframing. Um, and th that can be useful, like on like some like higher action shots, too, because you can you know, you've got more to play with if you have to do like a warp stabilize. Um, you know, if you're losing data on the sides, that's fine because you only care about the like middle 50 percent of the frame. So right. there are advantages. I think most people will say, no, you've got to do it in camera. That's the right way to do it. And it, it it probably is the right way to do it, but there are times when it's just not feasible. Yeah. And in those cases, it just gives you more wiggle at the cost of having to spend more time and resources during the edit process in order to be able to process it. So right. uh, we had another one previous from Daz the cat on Twitch asks um, question for Matt. How annoyed are you that you don't get a reply on the NV link support? Don't get a reply. Did uh, Envy Link is weird. About it or? Um, yeah, it's, it, they're probably asking about how like Premiere Pro and DaVinci Resolve don't support Envy Link. Oh. oh, there was something. No, oh, okay, I might know what you're talking about. Uh, there was a thing with um, Resolve had an update note saying like added support for Envy Link. That's right. Um, I remember. Yeah, that. and actually, if you even go into the. Yeah, I'm sure that's what they're talking about. And so, mm -hmm. like, you even go into the preferences now, where, like, where you would select GPUs and Resolve, and it actually says, like, NVLink, if NVLink is supported. Um, but as far as we can tell, it does nothing. Like, it just doesn't do anything. And we still haven't gotten an answer. Uh, we've that's tried to cool. ask, we've put on Twitter, we've put on social media. Hmm. I I'm guessing it is just an early, they've added support technically for it, but they're not doing anything with it yet because they don't know what they should be doing with it. Yeah. Because it's know. not a lot of people, they look at NVLink and they think, oh, memory pooling, like you'll be able to do the VRAM pooling between two cards. If you have two eight gig cards, it's now 16 gigs of VRAM. Uh, but unfortunately, I have I think I've talked to was it Adobe. It was someone at like NAB and like they were a developer somewhere and they were like, no, we're probably never going to do that because it like introduces too much overhead like it's not as good as people think it will be yeah. like yes you could wow. get more vram technically that way but it's going to sacrifice too much performance even though nvlink is ins insanely fast it's still not fast enough in those situations in other situations like um so i think octane render or v-ray supports memory pooling and that it's just it's just a different use case in some cases it's useful for that in other cases it's not uh, my bet is resolved they just haven't figured out where it makes sense to use it yet like yeah so we'll see we'll see what happens my bet though is nvlink is going to be a non-factor for video editing pretty much forever well, that's my guess especially when only the 3090 and then you know you jump into the not quadros, quadros and stuff you know uh <laughs> so it seems i mean honestly the the writing's been on the wall since the 20 series that envy link and the whole the whole concept is fading out nobody nobody's gonna do it anymore yeah well so. and also too like pcie like we're on pcie 4 now PCIe 5 is coming. I think PCIe 6 is already in spec. And like each time we're doubling bandwidth, like, wow, I, I feel like we're, we're point? yeah, PCIe is getting faster in bandwidth faster than developers can figure out what to do with that bandwidth. So cool. they don't need to do something that's specialty like in VLink that only 1% you know, of their users are going to have. If even 1%, it's probably more like 0.1% of their users are going to have. So they're going to focus on the other 99.99% of people and improve performance for them, even if they could do something for the, that 0.1% of people. So it's all dev time is all finite. I mean, it's just like our time or anyone's yeah. time. Like it's finite. They only have so much resources. So throw it at what's going to make the biggest difference for the most people. Yeah. yeah. Or the ones that's going to give you the biggest financial return probably is more <laughs> how a lot of those companies think. We kind of, so we did kind of mention this, the, the kind of the answer to this uh, earlier, but just to hit it right directly, Flau on uh, YouTube asks, how uh, have you done some tests with Avid Media Composer? No, not yet. Uh, that's probably the next big one we want to tackle. Um, it's just, man, 
I've been amazed at how much work there is to do, even just focusing on what is it? Photoshop, Premiere Pro, After Effects and Resolve. Oh, and Lightroom. Um, just on those five, like that's it's full time. Um, and Media Composer is also just kind of it's kind of weird, honestly. Like they finally did a UI update like last year or something that kind of modernized it some. But they still just have a very they have a very specific workflow you're supposed to go through. Um hmm. And honestly, I haven't gone super deep into it yet because we haven't been able to invest the time in it yet. But my understanding is like it's a lot of, you know, everything should be DNX, you know, transcoded footage you know, from the get go. I believe it supports other kinds of footage now, but it's a lot it's rockier if you go beyond the established workflow. And it's okay. just very it, it's, it's very you are supposed to do things a very certain way. Um, and actually on a lot of that, if you follow all of it. You don't need like a super crazy beefy system to do a lot of stuff like you can still get better performance, uh, but it's not like something like um, Premiere Pro and Resolve where people are just like, let's take the worst codec possible to edit with. And 90 percent of, pe- of people are going to do that. So they need crazy beefy workstations. Um, yeah. Avid feels like it's more of a I don't want to call it polished. It's more of a tight ecosystem in the, in the way you're supposed to do it. Um also, the other side of things, too, is um, a lot of the studios that are using Avid, um, they are pretty much locked into using companies like Dell or an HP um, or Lenovo. So that also makes it a little bit harder for us to justify the spending the time on it because there's not nearly as much return as there is on something like Premiere Pro or DaVinci Resolve, where it's, you know, the vast majority of users are actually, you know, like freelancers or people at home or small studios, the people who actually would be buying from us. And that comes back to, you know, we were talking at the very beginning of of the stream where like right now all of our testing is funded by our workstation sales. So until we can split that, we have to, you know, be able to, you know, get the return on our own investments of our own time. So I think it's going to be those two things. We have to get our our own time and we have to figure out how to get the return on investment on those things, because we're probably not going to get it through workstation sales. Yeah. This is an interesting one. I think this this would be a good one, I think for a lot of other people. Chedwin J. Evans on Twitch asks, uh, I have two. I have a 2X 8 gig kit. Between getting a second 2X 8 gig kit or a um, for four, or should replacing it with two 16s, will performance be affected? Uh, that will depend on your CPU. Um, so CPUs, they have a certain number of memory channels. And ideally, you want to use all of the memory channels. So I believe Ryzen and the Intel consumer, the, the core line, are dual channel. So whether you have two 8-gig sticks, or sorry, whether you have four 8-gig sticks or two 16-gig sticks, that is probably going to be within margin of error performance-wise. So it doesn't really matter. Um, if you had something like Threadripper um, or I think the Core X, although like no one uses Core X anymore, Threadripper kind of killed that. Um, so if you have Threadripper, that's quad channel. So you would see a performance bump by having four 8-gig sticks versus two 16s. Um, and then when you get up into like Epic and Xeons and stuff, a lot, some of them are six channel or eight channel. Uh, Threadripper Pro uh, is one of those is eight channel. I'm pretty sure it's eight channel. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure it's eight channel. So like you would ideally actually want eight sticks. Um, okay. Uh, because you will see a performance bump. But if, you're, if your CPU only supports dual channel, eh, it's not going to be any different. It's up to you. Like if you get a good deal on the two by 16s, sure. But it's really... <laughs> You know, I would really only do the two by 16s if you think you're going to be upgrading to 64 gigs in the future, because then you can just toss another 16 gig sticks in. But at the same time, that's kind of what you're doing right now. So, yeah, it's it shouldn't really matter. I know um, recently and I need to pause this real fast because I don't want that audio to go out. Um, I know recently. Gamers Nexus did a look at four versus two um, with the Ryzen. Uh, the, it looks like I just looked up real fast. They used the uh, 5600X, and yeah, it, they did see a fairly significant improvement in using four uh, mm-hmm. over two. Um, there's also a lot of complicated ranking, other things. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because you have also like, well, what speed mm-hmm. are those sticks? Mm-hmm. Um, you also have at certain frequencies, like if you're overclocking the RAM, which if you have Ryzen, you probably technically are overclocking because it's 
there's all these convoluted rules about like how many six you have, how many dims per channel, how many, uh, what the rank is of the Ram. Um, but basically if it's anything above 32, I 3,200, uh, megahertz, I'd consider it overclocking. Um, and then you have like, there's all these things about like different gear ratios and stuff in the bios and ram is like insanely complicated um but i can can definitely tell you that like it's very different in like gaming versus post-production too so like we've done testing looking at anything from like 2666 ram all the way up to 3600 or maybe we went even higher and it was basically like yeah everything's within a percent who cares but if you did that exact same testing on gaming you would see like at 10 maybe even 15 percent performance boost so it it all comes down to your your actual usage what applications you're running and in the concept or context of like video and post-production it really doesn't matter Um, the the ram and the speed of writing and reading stuff from the ram is so minor compared to everything else going on because because it's really only being read into memory once right you load your footage and it, it's there. You're, you're, I'm, I have a lot of mixed up vocabulary and stuff, but I imagine the RAM preview, right? It takes all your footage, in, in puts, it in, puts it into yeah. RAM so that you can fiddle with it live, essentially. Yeah. Whereas a video in, in game that, is constantly back and forth, new data, back and forth, back and forth, mm-hmm. back and forth. So like that initial, that initial load is, is might have a difference, but overall workflow, it's not going to make anything. Yeah, well, and also, too, a lot of the things, like RAM preview in, in particular, because that's where people would think higher performance RAM would get you a benefit. Uh, it's because so much of the time, the processing time is spent rendering that frame. So think, like, if, if it takes... I'm going to super exaggerate everything here. If it takes one or 10 seconds to render a frame, it would only take, like, I don't know, half a second to write that frame to RAM. So like the total portion of the amount of time you're waiting, the writing to RAM is so short that like until you can like massively increase CPU performance, it just doesn't matter. Now that's interesting though, because Adobe is working on a new feature called multi-frame rendering in After Effects that is supposed to increase performance by like, I think we saw up to three X performance was pretty standard. Yeah, it was. So like, that's still very in development. Like it still has a lot of work to be done. I'm really excited for it because like hearing all the work they still have to do, um, Mm -hmm. which actually we had, what was it? Was it Sean Jenkins on Mm -hmm. the stream three weeks ago or so? So if you're interested in that, check out that stream. Like we went deep three, four, March 26th. Yeah. So he's an Adobe developer on the After Effects team. And so we got deep and it's really cool how transparent they're being about everything. Yeah, like, that was really They're cool. hesitant to give dates because like it's such a work in progress. Yeah. But, like they don't really know. <laughs> but um, but like what they're planning and everything is it's really refreshing to see them being so transparent. And so once they get that more established, we are going to have to go back and like see like if we have a a fast enough cpu like whatever the best cpu is for after effects with this new feature will we start running into ram bottlenecks will we start running into gpu bottlenecks or storage bottlenecks because it's going to change everything so that's going to be a big big old mess of testing for us to figure out and it's it's going to be tough because things like writing to ram preview after effects does that in the background like it writes those frames or not to RAM preview, sorry, to disk cache. So that'd oh, be okay. when you're moving it from RAM to disk cache. That is being done in the background. It's like whenever it thinks it can sneak it in without affecting <laughs> like your workflow. So yeah. it's not consistent. You could do it once and like play through a thing and it'll write 50% of the frames to the disk. You'll do it again, 80%. Do it again, it write none. <laughs> so it's really hard to do performance testing because you don't know what it's going to do. <laughs> yeah. But some of the things like RAM, we should be able to figure out. <laughs> Right, let's see. Definitely had another question concerning media encoder. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a two-part one. So question, uh, what do you recommend to encode footage to for smooth premiere running? The footage is Nikon Z6 Full HD and 4K 420, 8-bit 144 to 28 megabits per second, and GoPro Hero 9 also Full HD and 4K 428, 8-bit 100 megabits. I don't think 428 exists because <laughs> everything's a, a, in a, a four slip. Yeah, I'm guessing but. that's uh 422 because the only thing that could be would be 42. Well, it could be 420. Eight, um, eight so, still divisible by four. Yeah. 
So if it's if it's four two zero, you technically could get away with hardware decoding if you had a good GPU um, that you know it, it could do it. But if you are wanting to do like a proxy workflow or transcode, um, the probably the go to well. There's multiple go-tos. Some people will go ahead and just transcode to a lighter weight, like a lower uh, resolution and bit bit rate uh, H.264. Um, that's going to be people who are like really tight on storage. So a lot of people like working off of laptops on the go. Mm-hmm. They can't they can't go to a big codec that's easier to process. So they have to keep it small. And they just turn down the bit depth, make it as easy as possible to edit with. You're going to sacrifice quality, video quality, though, uh, which for some people, like if you're just editing to like, you know, like like a show like this, like if you're going to edit this stream, it's not a problem, like because you're mostly editing to the audio. Um, the other ones that uh, are considered the best for like editing would be ProRes. Uh, so ProRes has a 422LT, so you could go to 422LT. Um, you can do a DNX, probably DNX HR. I think they have an LT also. Uh, basically, same thing. One's just ProRes, one's DNX. Do either one. Um, and then there is one other one uh, that a lot of people use in Premiere. It's it's like Cineform or something. Uh, but I, I'd say familiar. most of the yeah, I say most of the time it's either going to be a very lightweight H sixty four and two sixty five, or it's going to be ProRes or DNX, and it just depends primarily on your storage and like how good of quality do you want. Because if you can do ProRes, if you've got the space for ProRes, it's going to be editing is going to be smooth as butter, and it's going to be great video quality. You're not giving up much. It's only going to be for like really tight. Oh, oh there's some. It's only, only going to be like very tight masking or the really involved like color work that you're going to have to be switching back to the original media. Otherwise, you can just keep the proxies on all the time. Mm. There you go. Cool, cool. And then I, I'd, I'd like to take this one too from YouTube from Flau. Uh, a little more future forward here. Do you have any guesses on how will the DDR5 change the performance? My guess is not at all. <laughs> Usually, I mean, we're going to have to see. Um, I mean, you never know until things are actually released, but typically, like when we move from DDR to DDR2 and DDR2 to DDR3 and 3 to 4, which actually now I'm, I'm just realizing I already went, went through all those changes. Wow. Um, it When it was first launched, the actual like raw bandwidth performance was about the same. Like it, there was, it was a minor upgrade. Um, it had to like, um, like, you know, it, it had to work, you know, and, and like, you know, get there because like with DDR4, when we started off with DDR4, we were using like 2133 megahertz RAM and, you know, that was the standard. That's what everything was. And now we're up to like 3,200 is the standard. And I mean, you can go above. That's like the standard for as far as like CPU support. So my guess is that at first, it's not going to have much of an increase. And it's just going to be over the lifespan of DDR5 as better CPU support is added and chipset support and everything. Then we'll start to see more things. But I don't think it's going to be a like, it's not going to be like a GPU launch. It's not going to be like the the RTX 3000 GPUs where like, oh, things are like twice as fast now. No, it's going to be like, yeah, maybe it's five percent here ten percent there um in some applications i'm sure it'll be you know even more beneficial sure. but in the concept of like post-production i i wouldn't expect anything i wouldn't worry too much about it well especially considering how much we i mean just a few minutes back we were just talking about how little your ram speed and such makes a difference mm-hmm. anyway unless i mean unless we start seeing outrageous capacity differences or something that might make a little bit of a difference maybe yeah i mean the only other thing with ddr5 is it's um it'll have limited ecc functioning functionality built in um it's not i've only done some very light reading about it it's not the same as like what you would buy today if you were to buy ecc ram um it's a different level it's it's like a one step below but like still that's that's nice you know it should make ram a little bit more stable the thing is ram right now like if you're not overclocking if you're not going beyond what the cpu is rated for and you have good quality ram Man, RAM's pretty darn reliable these days. Like back in the day, oh, it had like a five or ten percent failure rate. Now it's like, it, it's I don't know what it is. If I had to guess, probably like 02 percent. Oh yeah, something like that. I could I mean, figure it out. But we've only got a few like, more minutes. <laughs> I want to say it's like right behind SSDs for us. RAM is so ridiculous. And yeah, I wonder though, how so you've you've occasionally put out the the most most reliable hardware articles for for Puget Systems here and there, and 
it, it only just occurred to me how we obviously i feel like we would sell a lot more ram than we do ssds does that sway the statistic or do you um i'm trying to think back to my math classes do you normalize for that sort of thing yeah it's like because um, like when we one percent of ssds is going to be you know a bigger impact than 0.1 uh, or you know, the other way around then if we're selling 10,000 sticks of, of ram and 0.1 yeah. percent of those are bad it's different than 100 ssds at 0.1 is bad yeah well because like in a computer you might have one ssd but you have four six of ram right and so if they had the same failure rate that means would it be your four times yeah we we don't really normalize those things normally when we're talking about reliability we're looking at like different brands uh compared to within the same like you know category because mm-hmm. really a lot of those things like oh ram be more reliable now it's useful in being able to say like okay you probably don't need ecc for this workflow but you should still use it for that um but yeah technically if you're trying to figure out like the chance of having a hardware issue in your computer, man, that math is actually really, really hard because uh, yeah, you can't I just don't. add up the percentages. You can't multiply them. I never figured out how. Yeah, yeah I, I never figured out the right way to do a like compounding failure rate analysis. If anyone knows and has like a resource, I'm, I'm very Don't interested because I tried to figure that out. I spent like a week trying to figure it out and I it was just I feel like I feel like that's a PhD track. Yeah, it's, it's very complicated. Dedicate your life to figuring out. Yeah. There's not an Excel function for it. I'll tell you that because I tried to find one. <laughs> Uh, which is strange considering all the scientific work that is done in Excel. You would think that somebody would have had some sort of, uh, you know, uh, script or something for it. Uh, well, there might be, and I just couldn't find it. I like this one. This will be a fun topic that will probably run out the last nine and a half minutes or eight and a half minutes. Uh, Fodor Rares on uh, the YouTube asks, should I upgrade from my 2060 Super anytime soon? Can you get something to upgrade to? <laughs> I think that's the biggest question. Uh, the 2060 Super was a solid card. Like it, yeah. it was a very good card. Um, like I mean, everything, it always depends on whether you need to, um, yeah. and you know, like what your usage is. Like I mean, I, I don't know what your workflow is. If you need to do, if you want to do gaming too, if you're Premiere Pro or DaVinci Resolve, um, I think yeah, it just comes down to what you're doing. Something like DaVinci Resolve. Yeah, upgrading your GPU can often give you a good performance bump, depending on what you're doing. If you're just doing straight editing in Resolve, nah, it's not going to do anything for you. Um, it's once you get into like the open effects, noise reduction, you know, all that kind of jazz, where a beefier GPU will give you a better bump. Um, the only other place is no, the the, the two thousand. So the two thousand three thousand series, we we're talking about hardware decoding before. Mm-hmm. They support the same things, so there's no new hardware decoding with the three thousand series. So it just Honestly, for things like that, you can watch your task manager. And if the GPU is pegged at all, yes, you should. <laughs> if it's not, if it's not above like 80%, you're probably not being limited by the GPU in anything you're doing. So it's not really more a bigger GPU isn't going to help you unless you're also like running out of VRAM. Like if you're running out of VRAM, yeah, I mean, that's there's no around that, especially in like DaVinci Resolve, like, like it needs a ton of VRAM depending on what you're doing. Yeah, if you run out of VRAM, then yeah, you should upgrade. But or performance goes, it depends. I hate, yeah. I hate giving it depends answers, but right, depends. yeah, no, those ones are always, especially given the market and things like that. Um, actually, so our buddy Leviathan Prime is in the chat on YouTube. He actually had a uh, he posted a question on Twitter. That, uh, I won't be able to display this one on screen, so I'll just say it out out loud. Um, it's kind of a two part. Uh, do you think Intel will replace the X299 platform with something that is on par or better than Threadripper Pro this year? We'll start with that. Because you mentioned earlier, like, oh, the X scene, the X series, I guess, um, seemed to be, well, was crushed by the Threadripper yeah. Pro. But the X299 is getting long in the tooth. Yeah. I, I don't think I can answer that. Um, so we, oh. we, we might know we, more we, than we, we can say. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure what is public and what isn't. So I, I have to play it safe. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think I can answer that. <laughs> I mean, we, we can we can talk about that in a more broader context, though. Um, so, like the the Intel HEDT stuff, the the X series that's ba- that was basically Xeon 
just on a consumer chipset. Um, Basically what it was. So I think trying to guesstimate what Intel might be able to do on a performance side, at least, I think your best bet is to look at what they're doing on the Xeon line because they've had some recent Xeon launches um, and those haven't been all that impressive. I I believe they like increased the core counts um, and like I'm sure the, the per core performance is a little bit better. Um, but like it wasn't anything enticing enough for us to, to even look at them. So like, I think we've done like some general qualification, like for in our workstations, but like I never did any testing because like, no, it's not going to compete with Threadripper. So it doesn't really matter. So um, even if they brought like what they just released on Xeon down to like the X299 platform, I don't think it would be able to compete. So it wouldn't really matter um, what they'll do in the future. Who knows? Uh, I mean, they've got to do something because they uh, like they're losing to Threadripper on the HDT line. Um, they're losing to Ryzen at the high end, like consumer um, line. They still have some advantages with like quick sync and they still have some. There's still some areas where like the 11900K is better. But yeah, it's, it's uh, um, and it feels to me like they're starting to lose out on the server line with Epic versus Xeon. I, I think the main thing they have up there is at that level, performance isn't as important as reliability. And right. Intel has a much longer track record in the server space. Um, like Dell and HP have more robust offerings, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So in the server space, I feel like they're hanging on more just from the sheer, I don't want to call it momentum uh, of their whole stuff. Cause it's, it's really like quality and everything like that is a very solid value value sure. add. Yeah, for um, sure. So, but it's it's just like AMD hasn't proven themselves there because the only way to prove yourself there is to be reliable for the past 10, 15, 20 years. So right. the only way they're going to get that is with time. It doesn't matter how good their product is. It's just a matter of time. So we'll see. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be tough, though, because Threadripper and now Threadripper Pro, like it, they're very, very solid. They're very good platforms. So cool. And then the second part of that was, do you think we will see more pro apps take advantage of faster Gen 4 NVMe drives? I doubt it. Um, I think, so this is my own personal take. I think that we have to completely change how we handle storage in a computer before uh, things like Gen 4 are going to be really usable to most people. I mean, there, there's some, like there's some people that are doing like crazy, like video walls and they're like doing like, yeah, we need two terabytes per second of storage speed. Yeah, sure. Those guys, they'll, they'll benefit. But to most people like video editors, uh, even people playing like video games and stuff, there is, there's too much CPU overhead because um, mm. you know, think like you're loading a, a level on a video game. It takes more time to like basically unzip all that data, expand all that data. than it takes to actually just read it. Mm-hmm. So and it's the same thing with like video editing and all these other things. So we have to change how we handle storage to either one, figure out how to like multi-thread that unpacking because most of the time it's single threaded um, Two, change just how we're doing it. So it's not as compressed. So like instead of saving it like a zip where it's all compressed, you're just saving the raw data and it will take way bigger space. Like it's going to take way more space on the drive, but you should be able to just basically read it and, and go. Um, and there's some work being done in that with like a persistent memory. Um, what was that? like some of the Optane stuff from Intel that kind of never really went anywhere. Um, but like if we get to that point where like storage is fast enough that it can act basically as memory, when we can merge memory and storage, hopefully then the sizes will be big enough that we can also not have to do much compression. It's just for like archiving, you'd compress things. And in that case, yeah, storage speed is going to be huge. But like the next 10 years, I doubt it. I, I, I mean, we'll be able to utilize it somehow. They're going to figure out some way to use up, you know, all that bandwidth. But man, yeah, like, we're already seeing like oftentimes there's not a point to upgrading to an NVMe drive now from like a standard SSD. So why, you know, going from Gen 3 to Gen 4 isn't that big of a deal when you're, you know, already you're capping out. Like, yeah, the benefit is around 500 megs a second. So. Right. I saw, I think it was Kelly shared something a while ago, long, probably in my mind, a long time ago, but that could be six months to a year or more, where somebody, and I I think this might be related, but somebody had like 
um, upgraded like their Xbox or Xbox 360 <laughs> to a wicked fast drive and their character loaded into the world before the textures had unpacked. <laughs> so like, and, and that was like, I think that's, I, I feel like that's related to like what you were saying is like the, the read speeds are faster than it, than it can take to unpack everything. <laughs> and so like they were able to place the character into the world before they could unpack all of the textures and put them in the right places. And stuff. Yeah. Sounds like one of those things where like they could have, coded for it but why code for something that's never going to happen because the hardware is so fixed yeah oh, so just... that was kind of fun <laughs> um uh let's see you want to knock through a few more let's see there's there's quite a few questions in there sorry if we're not going to be able to get through all of them um let's see dark legion mage is uh curious about what would be the most exciting pc part that you would love to get your hands on that are out now or coming soon and why I feel like Ooh, I that feel like I would like to get my hands on. I feel like you get I, to play with all the coolest stuff anyway. Yeah, most of it. Right. Yeah, I guess the only thing would be we still haven't been able to buy a Radeon card, like a 6900 XT. We still haven't been able to buy one. We did some testing. Um, someone loaned us a card. But yeah. We had to give it back, and we still haven't been able to buy one. That's because we like, we can't sit there like refreshing. Like we have to wait for it to show up in DSD. And I think we did see one show up, but we had to buy an eight pack. And we we're like, no, we're not going to buy eight because all of our testing shows that it's like Radeon cards are not good for like everything we focus on. <laughs> so, no, which, we're not buying eight of them. <laughs> which answers Tim OTT's question. Does Radeon cards do well in video editing? No. no. Um, <laughs> there, there's a few small areas where they have an advantage. But as far as most of the time when you're just talking about processing and everything, nah, NVIDIA cards just yeah. wipe the floor with AMD. That's just yeah. AMD is so focused on gaming right now. And NVIDIA is focusing both on gaming and on like compute in you know, all these other things. So yeah, yeah, this basically you go Nvidia. Yeah, it's like it's like the eleven nine hundred K is good for nothing. Yeah, and I guess I will I'll go ahead and say where they are good for. So AMD cards. Um, if you're using hardware decoding through the GPU and you are doing like multicam, so like four streams or six streams, oh. AMD does better at handling multiple streams of video than NVIDIA. Um, most of the time, it's not going to be a problem, um, but there are some workflows. Like if you're editing like a concert or something that's all shot in H.264 and you can use GPU decoding, you might be better off with an AMD card because uh, it can it can handle that a little bit better. For most people, nah, you, you just go NVIDIA. It's going to be faster per dollar and faster total. Like if you can go all the way up to 3090, like yeah. it's just all around better with the NVIDIA right now. <laughs> All right, so and I, I'm going to we'll say this is the last question because I'm curious about this myself now that it's been asked. Dr. Bonzo on Twitch asks, new Macs with M1 uh, are using SSD as RAM? I'm not sure. I, I've heard something about it, but I, I'm not, I, I haven't dug into it too much to really know. Like we've done some performance testing with it. Um, most like I have... That M1 Mac back there, that's more for like benchmark development because like with the Adobe stuff, they, they finally have M1 native versions, but you can't use the old style plugins and their new framework that they're making is doesn't work well for our benchmarks. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. So we've got to figure out. So that's the only reason why I have one. But like they're great. They're great little units like. They're not a you know workstation. They're not like something you're gonna sit at and like do really heavy editing on. But like for people who are looking for an on the go like editing platform, they're they're solid. Yeah. Like they, they are definitely solid. I wouldn't call them like a main editing bay computer, but like it's it's, it's this thick. Like yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not its purpose. It's, it's ultra book. Yeah, they did a good job. I think I saw some interesting stuff on YouTube about. Uh, I think Resolve in particular had a tremendous performance boost on uh on the m1s which is or they're yeah. the particular they they reflavored resolve specifically for the m1 and it, it's pretty good so yeah but pretty- the thing is you'll never see on those no one ever compares it to like a desktop because once yeah, you're comparing it to other laptops or the like the intel native version of like these other apps and like yeah it's way better yeah. but it's still it's it's not a high-end desktop um you know kind of a situation but it'll which makes it will be really interesting when they come out with the next like the m2s or whatever 
So I think it's supposed to be coming in an iMac. They're, they're going to be doing an M1 mm-hmm. version or something. Now, if they ever do get it up to like a Mac Pro level, I'm going to be very, very curious because I don't know. My understanding is this is the kind of thing that only scales to a certain point. Like it's really good up to a point. But then once you get beyond that point, like it's just once you have unlimited amount of like electricity and power and mm-hmm. cooling, you can just do so much more with, you know, other things. I mean, you know, Intel x86 and all that kind of stuff is, you know, old and janky kind of, I think, at this point of, you know, 40 years of, you know, improving things. Yeah, but it's yeah. still when you have unlimited power and cooling, you can get it so much more than something like that is my understanding. I don't know. And Apple's pulled out some pretty cool things in the past, you know, including yeah. with this thing. So I'm I'm very curious to see what happens, because if they like make some big leap, it might be a little rough for us as, you know, a workstation manufacturer for a little while. But I mean, Intel and AMD have huge R&D budgets. Yeah, <laughs> they can. I'm sure they can pull out something. And yeah. uh, and the competition then is great. So yeah. Apple good is tomorrow. always great to provide competition, which is <laughs> good for everybody. <laughs> I agree. Awesome. Okay, so that does put us a little bit over our hour. We're going to wrap it up here. Thank you guys very much. Uh, thank you, Matt, for taking time out of the day to join us and answer all these great questions. Um, and to the audience as well, thank you so much uh, for being here, for asking the great questions, uh, for giving us, uh, you know, the, the opportunity to help you guys out in a little bit extra way. So it's, uh, appreciate it. Thank you guys very much. Uh, we do this every Friday. Um, it's a kind of a mixed potpourri of uh, different content. We have our internal experts. We have external co- experts coming in. Uh, we also sprinkle in our support and um, consulting team as well. Uh, so stay tuned for that stuff every Friday, 1 p.m. Pacific. Mark your calendars. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. See ya.